The law of Moses is like a mobile hanging down from heaven. Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang off of two commands, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the individual commandments that make up the law of Moses are attached by those two great commands. If they didn't have a a little string connecting them to those two great commandments that are closest to God, they would fall down. So today on Rooted Daily, we are looking through the law of Moses through that lens. How do the commands teach us to love our neighbor? Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and Jesus said the first greatest command was to love God, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is our divine hermeneutic to understand the Old Testament. Remember, it's like the law of Moses is a mobile hanging down from heaven, and all of the individual commandments that make up the law of Moses are attached by these two great commandments. And if they didn't have that little string connecting them to these two great commands that are closest to God, they would fall down. And last week we looked at a little less than half of the law as it is recorded in Exodus. And the passages that I separated out is clearly pointing the Israelites to how to love God. But we ended in Exodus 23 with God's law about the Sabbath and the Sabbath for the fields, which we call the fallow law. And just like there would be a time for uh, in the week where God would ask his people to rest and he would be glorified in them pausing their work, every seven years there would be a pause and labor on a certain field, and that would glorify him too. Not because the field rested, not only because of that, but because in its rest, the poor would be able to come and eat from it. And in the same way, that was how the weekly Sabbath was to be used. It was a time for personal rest. It was a time for personal reflection, yes, on God and his creation, but it was always intended to also be a day dedicated to serving others, even if that required some work. This was a section all about the Israelites' relationship with God, how they were to love him, but we couldn't separate it from love for people because to keep the great command, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you must also keep the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So today, we're looking at some of the law that pointed the Israelites to how to do that, to love others, starting with Exodus 21 through uh, the first part of chapter 22. And let me read some of this for you. It says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. And then after this, God specifies protections for slaves. Uh, And if all of God's law is connected like a mobile to these two great commandments, where does this belong? I mean, how can you connect this to loving your neighbor? You know, we hear sometimes as a way of of dismissing the Bible that because the Old Testament endorses slavery, which you can splice it any way you want it, that's what it's doing here. So because of that, the Old Testament can't possibly be moral. We understand slavery to be 
fundamentally evil. And where it still exists today, it is a moral travesty. But Exodus is supposed to be a book about freedom, right? God rescues and frees his people from being slaves in Egypt. Why would God free the Israelites from slavery and then instruct them to reinstitute the institution of slavery in this new holy kingdom? Well, once again, I think there's a language barrier here because the slavery of Egypt could hardly be considered the same as the servitude in Israel. You know, what differences are there between the slavery that Pharaoh forced on the Israelites and the divinely described servitude of the law? Well, Pharaoh was cruel. There was no escape. It was involuntary and unreasonable. It deliberately destroyed the family, kept God's people away from him. The servitude described in the law is none of those things. God ensured that where slavery was used, it could not be cruel labor. There were hard jobs, yes, that they needed done, but slaves were not to be forced to work for work's sake like Pharaoh did to bog down the Israelites. Slavery was a situation entered into voluntarily or as a punishment for a crime. It lasted six years under the law, and if someone wanted to stay, the master was obligated to care for them, even if they were less productive in their work as they got older. God made instructions to make sure the family remained intact through this section of the law. And even though foreign slaves were not Israelites, they were told how they could come close to the Israelites' God by keeping the Sabbath and the other commands. This was not a law to hurt people with slavery. This was a law to teach the Israelites that even their slaves were neighbors to be loved. That's how the servants' laws taught the Israelites to love their neighbors as themselves. Love others by expanding your definition of a neighbor. Next, in chapter 21, we have a section about violence. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then he will appoint for you a place where he may flee. And then God lists a variety of other scenarios in this section where people commit different acts of violence. But I think the lesson's obvious here. To love your neighbor as yourself, don't hurt, but obvious enough, right? But God puts some nuance here. Verse 22 says, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, how does that part of the law teach the Israelites to love their neighbor? Well, first, again, don't limit your definition of your neighbor. Your neighbor includes the unborn. In this section, if you kill an unborn child, you deserve the death penalty, plain and simple. And secondly, God explains in the law, there must be consequences in his kingdom for violence, where property or life is destroyed, where possible restitution must be made, and where restitution is not possible because the violence resulted in death, God says the punishment must be death. Why is that? How could you love your neighbor and carry out a death penalty on them? Could a death penalty really be moral? Well, God didn't make a mistake in the law. Let's get that clear. All sin is worthy of death. But a death penalty imposed by 
human beings is different than the eternal death prescribed by God as the wages of sin. I mean, we are imperfect. The Bible says we don't know the heart, but God does. So we need to be very careful when we administer justice that cannot be revoked and takes away a person's ability to repent. The New Testament calls us over and over to minister to prisoners. They are souls that need the gospel just like us. And as long as we all have breath in our lungs, we have an opportunity to accept that gospel. Taking that opportunity away should weigh heavy on us. We should never forget the real judge is not in our courts, and we often are too quick to vengeance. But the law was not a mistake. God clearly says there are some occasions when a death penalty is appropriate for a civil society. It is a necessary tool to stop violence. And to love others, you need to protect them from violence. Where you see a threat, it is not loving to allow that threat to continue. Keep going in verse 28. We've got some animal control laws, a, a good bedrock for law and civil society, kind of mundane. But God says, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if an ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. What does that mean? It means to love others, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just about how you treat someone directly, but the consideration you give them indirectly too. It's not just loving to lo allow someone to enter a situation you know could be harmful. So if you know your animal could hurt someone, you can't love your neighbor and allow them near that animal. And in fact, the law equates this to murder, or at least it gives it the same punishment, the death penalty. Chapter 22 starts out, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. So if you need to understand the difference between murder and killing, this is it, right? Self-defense, even defense of property, are not considered murder under the law. But there's also a call for mercy here too, right? There's a, a difference between in-the-moment defense and personal vengeance. Verse 3 says, If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He shall make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. So the law, to be very clear, it doesn't create vigilantes. That's not how you love your neighbor, by hunting them down and, and leveling your own version of justice. No, violence in, in these cases of self-defense and defense of property, they're acceptable, sure, but only if there's no other recourse. We shouldn't be hoping for it. Okay, let's keep moving here. Exodus 23, 1 through 9. You shall not circulate a false report. Don't put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Another few quick lessons here. Number one, lying about others, defaming them, it's sinful. It shows your hate towards them. You can't love your neighbor and do that. Number two, don't gang up on people. Don't follow the mob. And number three, you can't show favoritism to the rich and love others. 
Keep going. Verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you should refrain from helping him, you shall surely help him with it. So how does this teach the Israelites to love their neighbor? Well, to love them, help your enemy. Verse 6, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in this dispute. Keep yourself far from false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of the stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It's the second great command, right? Teach the, or treat the, the stranger how you wish you were treated when you were in Egypt. Luke 10, a lawyer came to Jesus and he asked him what he needed to do to have eternal life. And Jesus answered, what does the law say? And the lawyer answered the same way Jesus did. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer didn't go his way and do that, did he? Of course not. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I'm glad that lawyer pushed Jesus that day because that was when Jesus gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I hope we've seen by now, the law already gave the lawyer the answer. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the person who works for me. My neighbor is the unborn child caught up in my fight. My neighbor is my enemy. And how do I love them? Well, I can't hurt them, obviously. But I also have to love them by protecting them, by making it right when I do hurt them, by shielding them from threats, by refusing to lie or gang up on them, by helping them, by treating them how I want to be treated. The law had already answered the lawyer's question, but just like today, so many people aren't listening. Don't be like him. To love God, you must love others with the same ferocity and grace that God loves us with. And that's what the law was designed to teach the Israelites. And that's going to wrap up our study of the law of Moses and this episode of Rooted Daily. Next time we'll watch the Israelites agree to the terms of the covenant and become a holy nation devoted to God. So I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content, you want to make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.